great to be here at First Baptist Church. Very humbling uh, to be here. You know, I love this church, especially what you've done for um, through this church to reaching people all over this area, the multitude of people you've reached for 60 years now, and for reaching people in places all around the world. Uh, thank you. Thank you for starting Howells Anderson College. You know, the things that students like myself learn in, at college are things that stay with us the rest of our lives. They molded us. And my son-in-law, Matt McKean, is here tonight. He graduated 18 years ago from Howells Anderson College, and now he's a staff member at the Faith Baptist Church in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, at Pastor Noonan. He still runs a bus route up there, good bus route, in charge of the teenage soul wedding, um, teaches in the, the Christian school there. He would say, and so many other thousands of others that have gone out of your Bible college have, have uh, learned something and, and applied what they've learned. Your sacrifice that you made 50 years ago Amen. this year is not in vain, and I could never thank you enough. Also, want to thank Pastor Wilkerson. Um, what a good friend he's been to me. I think we've known each other about 20 years now, about that uh, number of years. And I found that he's a very humble man, a very gracious person. Uh, about every two months, he calls me on the telephone, surprises me, and calls me and, uh, just to talk. And uh, he talks, and we talk a little while, and, and uh, finally we hang up. And, you know, every single time after he finishes, talking to me, I, I feel better. I feel encouraged. And I, I realize he's, he's encouraging me. He's just that kind of person. How blessed you are. You know, I often tell people, I do not know a better Christian than John Wilkerson. And I, I would say that before he became pastor, back when he was at Long Beach, California. I got to know him going to conferences there. And, and uh, thank God for that. About 25 or 30 years ago, Brother Howells asked me to speak at the graduation exercises of your city high and, and uh, Hammond Baptist High School. And I think the junior high as well. And uh, so I, I remember especially the, the uh, high school service was there and really enjoyed that. I think it was on a Friday night or Saturday night. And uh, during the service, the principal came up and uh, introduced the valedictorian of the college, or the uh, high school, and told about her grade point average and told about all this, all she'd done. And then he concluded by saying she never made a single B in all of high school. And then the Brother House came up and introduced me. And, and of course, you know, when you're at a graduation service, you're trying to impress people that you're smart yourself, you know. So I told him, Brother Wobbett, I told him, I said, you know, I, um, I have something in common with your uh, valedictorian this year. I said, uh, I never made a B in high school either. Uh, <laughs> I didn't tell him I didn't make any A's. <laughs> they were all C's and D's, and the one before that, below us, is the one I knew the most about. But, but uh, you know, we walked. I remember that night, I was very nervous, as you would be if Brother Howells is sitting behind you where you're preaching. And so I, I got, got up to preach my, my message, and I was going through it, and, and you're always into your message, but something didn't feel right. I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I knew something was wrong, and about halfway through that message, I figured it out. I was preaching one of Brother Howells' messages. <laughs> no joke. So I cut the message kind of short, wisely. <laughs> I'll never forget, we walked in that old building, we walked up the hallway together, and he said, Brother Rick, I really enjoyed your message tonight. He said, I think I've heard that some, somewhere before. And I shouldn't have said this, probably. I said, Brother House, have you ever preached somebody else's message? 
He turned around and said, Rick, not while they're standing, sitting behind me on the platform. <laughs> so anyway, but I had a good reason to preach that message because uh, the message was about John 9, 4, my life's verse, and about uh, giving our lives to him wholly. And, and uh, I will get back to that verse a little bit later in the message, but I want you to look at the book of Luke chapter 8 tonight. The book of Luke chapter 8. I've been going through the life of Christ the last year and a half in our church, and I'm in this, been in this chapter recently. Uh, I want to, this message that Jesus is giving in Luke chapter 8 and two other books in the, the New Testament, Mark and Matthew, he's speaking, uh, the message is all about parables. And then Luke chapter 9, uh, the life of Christ events continue. And then if you ever have, if you have a harmony of the gospel, you'll notice that, that the life of Christ continues over in John chapter 7, chronological order. And so the events in John chapter 7 and 8 and 9 continue the life of Christ. And so when uh, Jesus spoke these words in, in the book of John chapter 9, it wasn't very long after he preached this message in Luke chapter 8 and in Matthew chapter 13 and also in the book of Mark. And so uh, it, it was maybe months but not years. And they kind of connect to each other. When he preached this message on the Sermon of the Parables, he had a burden. He was very burdened, and I don't know if this is the right word, frustrated. He was definitely grieved, and because he was teaching these parables with the same purpose. Jesus wanted his disciples, and let's include ourselves in this, he wanted every disciple to realize that their main purpose in life was the spreading the gospel. And in this, past, in this message, he made a dramatic change to the way he preached. He, he would tell the story of each parable, but he offered no explanation of the meaning of the parable to the crowd. It was a big crowd at the seashore. And uh, Jesus knew that these people who were listening were not going to do what he asked them to do. They, they enjoyed the preaching. They enjoyed the stories. But they were not interested in obeying his command. And, and, and so he, he decided he would only tell the meanings of this, these parables to his disciples. Now, they weren't perfect. They made a lot of mistakes. But he knew they would serve until the end of their life, faithfully and being filled with the Holy Spirit. He knew they would see revival. He knew they would even be willing to, and were martyred, most all of them. And so he says, and let's read verse 8 again. He's concluding the first parable, the one about the sower, the, the, the man who goes out to sow the seed. And the, the, concludes by saying, and others fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he said these things, he cried. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. He was burdened. Uh, he was warning the crowd that they need to listen to what he's saying because he's speaking about his purpose in life. And look at verse 9, he says, And the disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? They were saying, Aren't you going to tell the people the meaning of the parable? You've told us about the sower, and you're not going to tell them what it means? And in verse number 10, Jesus said, And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not hear. Now, these parables that he gave, I believe, basically meant the same thing. And I want to go through them very briefly, at least five of them, and show you that they all had the same purpose. The first was the sower of the seed. And 
This, this parable of this man going out to sow the seed was given to us to show that the, that the purpose in life for each one of us is to sow the seed, to spread the word. In the parable of the candle, we find that the purpose of a candle was not to decorate a room or bring a nice fragrance to the room, but the purpose of a candle was to bring light to those that are in darkness. And then the parable of the mustard seed teaches us that it is possible to spread the gospel very quickly and that we need to have great faith to believe that we can reach the world. And then the pearl of great price, he, he, he teaches us that there are many things that are good in life, goodly pearls, but there is only one great, great thing in life, and that is the kingdom of God. You know, isn't it great to be in God's work? And, you know, many of you, I was thinking as I prepared this message, many of you have experienced how wonderful it is for decades to serve God and to see people get saved in this church, in this area, and, and sending people out to start churches in the United States and all across the world. And then the fifth one was the, the hidden treasure found. This man is out in a field, and he, or either working in the field or passing through a field, and he finds a treasure suddenly, and he goes and takes the treasure and sells that treasure, and uh, when he sells the treasure, he takes the money and he goes back and buys the field. I believe this parable teaches us that God has given you and I a great treasure. And that is our life. He wants us to take our life and give it for one great, one great thing, and that is his kingdom. He wants us to buy the field and reach the world. He wants us to give up our life and spread the gospel. It was no accident that when, 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 when the time came that his mother and his brothers came, it was at this event they came because they were afraid that he was going to be killed or hurt. And so they came to rescue him, and when they got there, they found out that he had no interest in being rescued. And uh, they, they couldn't even get to him. It was so crowded, and so they sent a messenger, and the messenger came to Jesus and said, Jesus, your brother and your brothers are here. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, who is my mother and my brothers? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 49, he says, and he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples. In Luke chapter 8, verse 21, the Bible says, and he answered and said unto, him, unto them, my mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. He was saying, I have a new family. I, I love my family. I love my mom, I love my brothers, but my real family are those that are helping me to, to accomplish my purpose in life. Amen. Let's go over now to John chapter 9. And, and again, in John chapter 9, he is overwhelmed with his purpose in life. In John chapter uh, 9, verse 1, the Bible says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which is blind from his birth. Now, the disciples had seen him heal many people. At one point, it says he healed everybody that came to him. And he, the hundreds and probably thousands of people that they saw get healed. And so this man who was born blind, I, in, in their mind, I'm sure they're thinking that Jesus is going to heal him. But what do they say when they see this man? Look at the next verse. In verse number uh, 2, the Bible says, And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I know Jesus thought, why are you asking this question? It's not important. I mean, 
how, by the way, how could he, how could this man sin and, and become blind because he was born blind? Jesus kind of thinking that maybe, and, and he's, he, he's he, again, he's frustrated or grieved because even then, even though he knows they're going to go out and reach the world, they're missing the big picture, even on these miracles that he's performing. And so he says, look at the next verse in verse number four, three. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. Jesus was saying that, and he answered the question, but he said the purpose of this miracle, the important thing about this miracle is that God can use it for his glory and his kingdom. People will come to him for centuries because they read this story about, about this man who's blind and, and, he, and he became healed. He was saying to his disciples, wake up. Focus on that which is important. And then he comes to that, that verse, that wonderful verse in John chapter 9, verse 4. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me. And you know, he must be saying this with much emotion. And because this is what he came for. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus was very passionate about his ministry. Every day he got up and went out and had an impact on people's lives. Jesus never wasted a day in his life because his purpose was to bring redemption to mankind. He wanted people who were lost and broke, had their fellowship broken with his father to be reunited and be in heaven with his father forever. He had a purpose. And, he said, and there are at least two things that he said about this, uh, about uh, this subject of night coming. And the first one is that night comes very quickly. Night comes very quickly. James chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth, but a little time and then vanisheth away. You know, as I look back on my life, and some of you that are a little bit older look back on your life, you find out something, don't you? Life goes by very quickly. It just seems only, only like yesterday that I was growing up in a little town in northeastern Oklahoma, Miami, Oklahoma. And my dad was a pastor there for 27 years. But he loved radio. He, was a, he loved to get on the radio. And he, he had a religious broadcast, but he also had a sports broadcast Monday to Friday at 545, 15 minutes. And then he would, he would broadcast the high school and junior college football games and their basketball games. He broadcast baseball. He broadcast boxing. He broadcast rodeo. We had rodeo there. He broadcast, if you had a sport, he would broadcast. If you knew anything about it or not, he, he loved it. That was his passion. Well, I grew up, I was Russ Martin's son around the town. They didn't, nobody knew my name. Uh, they called me Little Russ. But I had a good childhood, and I went to Bible college in 1970, 1970 and, but I wasn't saved. I was in a Christian church, and I'd never been born again, and they believe you have to get baptized to be saved and so forth. And, but I went to Bible school, and I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't know him personally. And on January 27, 1972, 50 years ago, just a few days ago, I went to a Baptist church's revival service. It was in a gymnasium, Memorial Hall there in Joplin, Missouri. I'd been there before at the sporting events. I was sitting in the balcony that night. The preacher preached about how you can be sure you're going to heaven. And that night, something happened to me. My life was just completely changed. I, I, put, I wanted to know, um, as a little boy, we taught in our church, you can't know for sure you're going to heaven until you die. But I found out you could. 
It brought such a relief in my heart. And also, Amen. that night, Jesus became my best friend. We don't get saved by that, but he, I, he became my best friend. I went back to my dorm, and I, was, I couldn't go to sleep. I read, just got my Bible and read it and read it, and I said, i got to tell somebody what happened to me. And so two days later, I had a, a date with this girl, and it's a nice girl from a Christian church. And uh, we, we talked and stuff, and halfway through our date, I said, you know, can I tell you something that happened to me two nights ago? And uh, she said, what? She said, go ahead. And so I started telling her about what happened to me, and she seemed interested. And so I said, you know, I told her how I got saved. I said, would you like to do that? Would you be interested? She said, I would. And that, that girl accepted Christ as her Savior. And, and uh, I kind of liked her. I broke up with her. I, I knew she wasn't the right person. She said, but I started praying. I was 19 years old. I prayed, Lord, give me a wife. But give me a, a wife that loves you. And so a couple of weeks passed, and it was on Valentine's Day, February 14th. I was working at McDonald's. Uh, I was working from 3 in the afternoon to 11 at night, five days a week. That was my job in Bible college. And uh, so I went home early at 9 o'clock because there wasn't much business. For some reason that night, I went home to the dorm. And those in the fellowship hall, they were having an activity. And I walked over there, and they were having a Valentine's party. And I walked in. I smelled like a Big Mac. I bet it didn't work all day, a hamburger or french fries or something. So I didn't care. I walked in. I saw this girl across the room and a, and a man with her. It was her pastor and some other young people, and I, I said, I'm going to go meet her. So I walked over, and it was Becky, my wife, and I, I, I started talking to her. And I talked, and I talked, and I talked, and I talked, and she didn't say anything, so I kept talking, and finally I stopped. And she said, you're weird. <laughs> I knew she was crazy about me when she said that. I, I just knew she love at first sight, right? We met her vain, aren't we? But anyway, uh, you know, I, I sat down with her that night, and I talked to her, and I said, Becky, do you know? If something happened, if you, if you died, do you know you're going to heaven? I'm sure. She would say, no. You can't know that. She said, yes, I do. I said, are you sure? <laughs> how do you know that? She said, well, I, three months ago, I got saved. And she told me how she got saved. Oh, I was so excited. And she said, you know, I'm trying to witness to my, my friends at school, and a couple of them got saved already, and I really want, and she wanted, that's what she wanted with her life. She got saved. She had a change, and she wanted to reach other people. And so uh, she went home to her home place. She lived in, in uh, Indiana. She went to Franklin High School down south Indianapolis. And so we wrote each other. I wrote her, and she, you know, they don't write letters anymore today, do they? But that's a long time ago. But I wrote her, and she wrote me back a letter. She said, or the first letter, she said, you know, my principal called me into, my, into, into the office the other day. I thought I was in trouble, so I went to the office, and I sat down. And I, she said, I did something wrong. I said, no. I said, but something's happened to you, Becky. You're different. What happened to you? And she said, well, to be honest, a few months ago, and she told her how she got saved and how Christ had come in her life and changed her life. She was a new creature, she said to him. And, and he talked to her, and she, he didn't get saved, but she told him how, basically how to get saved. And when he left, she said, you know, you've, you've taught me. I've really, you maybe questioned some things in my life. And uh, a couple of weeks went by, and he, he called her back in. He said, you know, Becky, we're having our graduation service in May, and I'd like you to be, we have a valedictorian that speaks, and then we choose a, someone from each class to be the representative. I'd like you to represent the class, and I'd like you to speak about what you told me about the other day. At the, about that same time, same time, her pastor, and he got saved, Christian church pastor, he got saved, started teaching him how to win souls. And he called me on the phone and said, uh, Rick, would you like to come and be our youth director this summer? It took me about three seconds just to say, pray about it. You know, yes, I would like to come where my girlfriend is. But uh, he, uh, I, I, so I went out to Indiana, 
I got there just a few days before graduation, end of May, and uh, I got to hear her give that speech. She had her, her, I've got that speech at home, but the title of it is The Prince of Peace. And that night she told about how, how people were looking in life for things that didn't satisfy, and they looked for money, they looked for fame, they looked for drugs, they looked for, this world has nothing that can, that can give us peace. She said, you'll never have peace in your heart until you know the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And she told about how she had gotten saved. And, uh, you know, that's 50 years ago. That's a long time. It's gone by so quickly. I remember in 1974, we were married. By then, we came up to Howells Anderson College. I graduated from the, the other school and came up here. And, and uh, we were married, so we wanted to meet some married folks. here, mainly single, so I met Roy, Roy and Jojo Moffat. As I told you, that changed my life. It was a life-changing event. I mean, Brother Roy was so much fun and on fire for God. Honestly, it impacted my life and my wife's life. Becky just really, they, they love bus routes. I was at the bus nurse at the time down in Oklahoma anyway, so we, oh, it was so much fun being around there. But Becky quit her, she had a part-time job. She went out to the bus barn and, and worked with Jojo for Brother Vineyard when he was here. And, uh, uh, you know, I met Ray Young at that time. He was in high school, C with me. And the, we worked together at that, that Seifer building over there. Uh, we brought. We both had C buses that came in, and and uh, Sunday night I would sit in a service like this, and I'd look up and see Brother House, and I'd say, Sunday, when I get older, I'm going to be a preacher too, like him. And and uh, now, you know, our students in our Bible school look at me, and they say the same thing. 1976, Bob Hughes came to this church, and it just seems like yesterday when I told my wife we're going to go to the Philippines to be missionaries. And for our young people that are here tonight, I realize how very hard it is to be serious about your life when you're young. If I could testify something that's helped my life is that I've tried to stay focused on what God wants me to do by every single day of my life, thinking that someday I'm going to die. And someday I'll have no more time to serve God. And, you know, your life is going to go by quickly, too. If you're an elementary student tonight, like some of you at the front here, it won't be long. You'll be in high school. And you go to college and get a job, get married, and before long you'll have children. <laughs> Don't think you will, but you will. They'll be elementary age, and they'll grow up, and they'll go to college, and they'll get married, and they'll have kids, and you'll be a grandmother, a grandfather. And uh, before you know it, you get older and older, and maybe you get weaker, and your body will have some problems. You get sick and have a disease or something. There'll be a day when you lay down, maybe it's on a hospital bed or in your home, and, and you realize, you look up, and it's, you know, it's your last day. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to that day in my life and I look up from some bed at my family or loved ones and, and regret, regret the way I spent my life. Night's coming very quickly. Not only does night come very quickly, but night's coming on the lost. That was the second point Jesus wanted to make. He had a purpose in saying those words, I must do the work of him that sent me. Well, the works was redemption of mankind. The works was to see people be brought back to his father. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. I want to speak to the young people about this because, pe because people are lost without Jesus Christ, you and I ought to give our lives to reach sinners for him. Uh, I, I, can, I can remember that thinking, realize that when we think about night is coming to those that are lost, that Things in this life aren't very important. Um, material possessions, popularity, awards, money, good job. None of those things are necessarily wrong. 
But the really important thing in life is that when we die, that there will be people that will go to heaven because of our lives. You know, you'd, you and I would be very foolish to work so hard to obtain things that are very temporal and to work so little for things that are eternal. Night's coming on the lost. Night's coming on the mission field. Night's coming on the the, the history of foreign missions could be summed up in two words: too late. Too late. The countries are open. The Philippines is open. I mean, night's coming. When I wake up, when I think about what Jesus said when He said, "Lift up your eyes, for the fields are ripe unto harvest." When I when I think about that, I think about the Philippines. I look at my field. Each day I'm there and I'm constantly amazed. Everywhere you go, there are opportunities to lead people to Christ, to preach the gospel. When you come to the Philippines, you'll find out something. A lot of people will listen to you. There are opportunities everywhere. The public schools, before COVID anyways, and the public schools, you can go in their public schools and you can go to any public school. You have permission to do that because it's in their constitution. Religious groups can go into any public school and teach their religion on a voluntary basis. Opportunities to speak, uh, preach in homes, have Bible studies in home for lost people. Opportunities in open air, have evangelistic meetings. Opportunities to, to, for children's ministries. Countless opportunities for outreach ministries. Many opportunities to start churches. There's even opportunities to start Bible colleges. Uh, can't believe I started a Bible college. I barely made it through to myself. Uh, but, you know, it's not easy. It's Sometimes it gets frustrating, but the opportunity is there. And you know what I've seen? I've seen missionaries come to the Philippines who have reached so many people just because they walked through that door of opportunity. And all this brings to question tonight for young people especially. It's the Philippines and other countries around the world. You see these missionaries of your church that have gone out, and you see the opportunities. It's the Philippines and other countries around the world are open, and American missionaries have unlimited opportunities why aren't more people going? My answer is, I don't know why. I really don't understand. You know, maybe there's a misconception that there's so many missionaries we don't need anymore, especially in places like the Philippines or Mexico where, where people are pretty receptive. What's the truth? 1977, we went to the Philippines, and just shortly after that, a survey was done of all the Adventist missionary groups there in the Philippines, and there were 196 American missionaries there. And uh, a few years ago, another survey was done. There's about 98 American missionaries on that last survey. 1977, the population of the Philippines was 45 million people. Today, it's 108 million people. And so missionaries today are trying to reach twice the number of people with half the number of missionaries. And I know it's hard to, we live in a time where it's challenging financially, but you know, there's over 200 Filipinos have gone abroad, sent out by churches, local churches in the Philippines. Very hard to do that. They pay the same amount of airfare. The pace doesn't go very far, but they have faith. And one thing I, I want to say about this church, I, this church is doing their job. You're definitely doing your part. I'm sure you could do more, but you're doing, there's no church in America has a mission, their church, like FBMI, that's sending out all these missionaries. And uh, I want to thank God for you. You know, 1972, I began to hear about Jack Hiles, the name Jack Hiles. I'd gotten saved, and somehow I got a hold of his cassette tapes. I don't know if you know what a cassette tape is. Roy knows. You know what the reel-to-reel -reel is, don't you, Lloyd? It was all of them.
But uh, I got those cassette tapes. I started listening to him. I was so fascinated. He was on fire for God. People were getting saved and baptized in the church every week. And, and so I heard he was coming to a church in Springfield, Missouri in November of 1973. So it's only an hour from where I live, where the Bible college was. So I went up there on a Monday night to hear him preach. Oh, I was fascinated. I heard in person. I was so excited. I sat right in the middle. And uh, he, he preached that night on have a dream. Have a dream, tell a dream, do a dream. You heard that one? And that night at the invitation, he said, stand up if you have a dream. I just stood up. And he went around and he came to me. He said, what's your dream, young man? I said, my dream is to go to Howes Anderson College. And uh, after the service, I noticed that people were standing in line to talk to him. And they had a, had a book. I thought, oh, that's a Bible. And I, he's signing their Bible. I've never seen people, you know, preachers sign Bibles. So I got in line. And I went in line and finally I got to the front. And, and when I got there, I said, are you the young man that said you're going to House Anderson College? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, wonderful. And I said, would you sign my Bible? And he said, well, sure. And I, I gave my Bible and opened it up. It was a living Bible. Uh, not a very good Bible. I didn't know. I'd just gotten saved. But he signed Daniel 12.3, and he's very gracious. I, I wrote him a letter. He wrote me back a letter. I've got it somewhere here in my notes. But he wrote me back in January of 1974, and just a nice letter, gracious, and hoping I would come here, and I did come in, in August. And I was, I was a Baptist mainly, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand eternal security. I went to his office and asked him, Brother Howes, I don't understand this, you know. <laughs> he was so patient. He taught me that, and I finally got it. And asked, one time I went to him and said, Brother Howes, I don't think my wife and I have been baptized scripturally because we got saved. We got baptized. We are younger, but we got saved. He said, that's right. You need to get baptized. Next Sunday night, we got baptized at, uh, there at the old, old building over there. And, and um, you know, I, when I got to be a missionary, I realized, you know, I don't want to bother him too much, but he was, but he, I'm busy. Brother Howes is like, and pastor of this church now is just a different different level altogether. So, so I'm not going to ask him for anything, not going to ask him to solve my problems. Uh, and I knew, you know, I, I needed his advice, but 99% of the time, if I had a problem, I had listened to so many of his messages and listened so for several years, you know, before I met him, and then here, then afterwards, I knew what to do. I mean, I knew what he would tell me to do. So I didn't do anything and didn't ask him help, but Time came years later that I, I had a problem that I just couldn't solve, and it was it was one that about broke my spirit. And so I finally went to him and talked to him and up in the office, and he was so good. I don't know where he got the wisdom to tell me the things that he said to make make me understand things. And and when it left, he just said something very very nice to me. And I walked down the hall and so encouraged. And I didn't realize that's the last time I talked to him. You know, night comes on people we love people that are faithful, preaching the gospel. Someday, you know, we'll, your pastor will be gone. And uh, I remember when I met Brother Wilkerson, I met him at these conferences out in the West Coast area, and we'd go out there, and he'd end up the same conference I'd be at, and so we, I got to know him that way. And when I was, when I was spiritual, in a good mood, I would sit and talk to him because I'd learn. If I wasn't very spiritual, I'd, Mike Ray, you know him? I would, I would sit and go with Brother Ray, and we'd have fun, you know? <laughs> But if I was spiritual, seriously, I'd go to, I'd go to, because he, he was wise. It's it very interesting to be around Brother, Brother Wilkerson. Um, and uh, he asked me to come to his church and preach at the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Wow, okay, I want to see your church. And I went there, and it was on a Wednesday night before the service. I mean, I wouldn't believe it unless I saw it. We were in the fellowship hall 
I mean, it must have been a, it seemed like there was a family from every country in the world. It was so excited. I walked inside that. I've been to the auditorium before that. I knew how big it was. Walked in the auditorium on a Wednesday night. It was packed. And the spirit of that, that oh, it was just unbelievable. And then, then it happened in 2008. We got the news about Tyler. And uh, I didn't know him real well, but I knew his testimony. Tyler had a great, he was going to go to Bible college, you know, and just beloved in the church there. And after that happened, I invited Brother Wilkinson to come to our church and preach at our pastor's conference. I knew that he could be a great blessing to the pastors there. He'd been through something that they hadn't faced. And he did, he came, and I was hoping he'd say something about his son and what happened. I know it would be hard to do that, but he did. And it was something, uh, at the end of the, the, that message, he brought his wife up and Mrs. Wilkinson came up, and they sang together that song, Even in the Valley, God is Good. And, uh, you know, Mrs. Wilkinson has a really nice voice when she sings. And Mother Wilkinson has a nice voice when he preaches. But, uh, <laughs> but, but to be honest, that night, uh, that day, it's the morning, it's the morning service at 10 o'clock, I, I, it was the experience I'd ever experienced in my life. I knew that God was, I knew that God was working in my heart. I knew God was working in those pastors' hearts. How I helped so many of them. Now he's my pastor. I admire Brother Wilson when the valley came. Remember what Brother House used to say something like this to when you're in a valley? Don't become bitter, become better. And uh, Brother Wilson became better and better and better. It's often said that everyone ought to live with something greater than themselves. Brother Wilkerson and his wife and, and many of you are living for the greatest thing in the whole world, the kingdom of God. Jesus said to his disciples 2,000 years ago with much emotion, I must do the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh, no man can work. 